Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello, welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, getting older comes with plenty of health concerns and things we need to be aware of. But how conscious are we about our muscles as we get older? Is it a big deal if we lose some muscle mass? Well, this week I'm joined by Brendan Egan, Associate Professor of Sport and Exercise Physiology at DCU, to talk about why looking after muscles as we get older is really, really important. Brendan, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, Carl. Thanks for having me on. It's an important topic to talk about, so happy to do so. Absolutely. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, we're always telling people to, you know, to move more as they get older, to lift weight as they get older through the aging process. One of the big things in your TED talk you talk about is being an active couch potato. And we're going to start there. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that was a, a term that came into vogue about 10, 12 years ago. And it reflects the fact that we have people who meet the current physical activity guidelines around aerobic exercise, which is typically five by 30 minutes per week. But if those individuals spend a lot of time sitting, um, then they actually are defined as a, you know, this, ver this term um, active couch potato. So the reason it's important is because you can meet the physical activity guidelines as I just described, but by being exposed to prolonged periods of sitting and too much sitting as, as it's referred to, that actually poses an independent risk factor um, that isn't offset by performing you know, the physical activity guidelines. So it's almost like treating inactivity and activity as two separate entities. And is the simple switch to that to stand more over the course of the day? Yeah, the research around that is, is still developing, but um, at a basic level, it seems to be that interrupting um, sitting every two hours for something in the region of three to five minutes of activity, that seems to provide um, you know a, sm a certain amount of benefit. A lot of this has been done around the area of insulin sensitivity and blood sugar control. Um, you know, you're talking very small amounts of exercise there, so it's unlikely to have any effect on body weight. But in terms of metabolic health and uh, function of muscle uh, itself, then it does seem to be a good thing to, to break up prolonged sitting. Talk to me about aging. So we have an aging population. Uh, science and medicine are doing great things to keep us alive. Are we a, a living healthier as, as well as longer? Yeah, so this is uh, at the crux of the healthy aging concept is this idea that um, we live longer, but we don't live necessarily in better health. And so healthy aging tends to be defined as um, the process of developing and maintaining physical function as we age. So it doesn't really speak to this idea of an absence of disease, you know, it kind of accepts the idea that certain diseases will develop. But again, from a muscle centric point of view, if we can maintain physical function or physical independence uh, later on in life, those extended years that we now get uh, will ultimately be in, in, in better health. So we kind of have these concepts of health span, which is the period of life where there's the absence of disease and lifespan, of course, is, you know, from birth to death. And so the idea that you can match your health span closer to your lifespan, you know, that's kind of the, the holy grail when it comes to, to healthy aging. And chat to me about muscle mass then. 
it naturally deteriorates as we get older from roughly what age? Yeah, so there's a, a life course trajectory you can imagine where, um, you know, you've got kids, you'd be familiar with the idea maybe that, you know, over a certain period of time early in life, we make very rapid developments in terms of functionality. And by that, I mean things like being able to stand, being able to climb, get up and down out of chairs, um, you know, walk up and down stairs. These are kind of functional abilities and they develop rapidly and to a large extent early on in life. And this mirrors, again, things like improvements in strength um, that, that we would have in, in muscle as well. And somewhere around the age of 35 to 40 is where it's usually projected to reach its peak. And at that point, um, a certain amount of decline occurs. And it tends to be a steady decline for the next, say, 10 to 15 years, and then becomes more rapid later in life. Usually, again, like I said, the time point of a peak is 35 to 40. The more rapid onset of decline is, you know, 65 and, and beyond. And so the idea is that, um, you know, the better we can have lifestyle habits early in life that kind of maximize that peak. And similarly, good lifestyle habits that maintain that peak for as long as possible. And again, relatedly, good lifestyle habits that um, slow the rate of decline. That's, you know, sort of the cornerstone to healthy aging. And from, a, again, like I say, a muscle-centric point of view would be thinking about how can we maintain muscle mass? How can we maintain muscle function um, during those periods of life? And is there a genetic component to that? So is it, you know, look at your parents, look at, or is, does that, is it mainly lifestyle driven over the course of the age profile? Yeah, that's something that hasn't been very well studied. You know, there are a lot of genetic association studies with a variety of different diseases, but I guess aging is such a multifactorial um, um, way of looking at, at life that it's hard, I would say, to nail it down to specific genetics uh, at this stage. But if we're talking specifically around muscle mass, I think that is probably an area that that will be developed over the years, given the recognition now of, of how important muscle mass and muscle function is. And as we lose muscle, as we get older, do we have a, is there kind of a percentage or a quantity that we know we generally lose over the course of, say, a decade or even smaller amounts like per year? Yeah, that's been fairly well defined. So after the age of about 35, the rate of decline is usually estimated somewhere between 3 and 8% per decade. And... That gets up at the age of 65, that begins to increase. As, as I said earlier, the decline is more rapid uh, over the age of 65. And at that point, the estimate is usually around 1% per decade, 1% per year, I should say, or 10% per decade. So it does become, you know, that little bit faster. And that's really in the context of, of, um, of muscle mass. Um, muscle function, again, I, I, I should stress this. Um, I'm not using the words function and, and uh, mass interchangeably. They do mean two different things. And so function is those examples I gave earlier and strength is a, is a form of, of muscle function as well. That does seem to decline at a slightly different rate to uh, muscle mass or muscle size. And so, again, it's to think of, and I think we'll probably talk about this, the ways in which we lose muscle mass and muscle function are somewhat different. And similarly, the um, the prevention of loss or the rehabilitation when there has been a period of loss do uh, have different trajectories when we're think thinking about either strength, function or uh, muscle size. And of course, all of those things you've mentioned there, they come back with a huge role in terms of balance, don't mm. they? And that's one of the big triggers for how we age and the quality of our aging is the impact on our balance and then increased risk of trips, falls, hazards, you know, all of those simple things are are improvised when our balance is poor. For sure, yeah. I mean, the um, much of what we study within the lab is is around muscle strength. And you have other research groups, for example, that will study uh, mostly things around muscle mass. But balance is it's as you suggest it's it's within its own um, uh, piece of the, of the of the bigger picture here. 
And like that, the consequence of a fall or a fracture is really what um, can be the most serious to uh, an older adult. I mean, it's it's not just the fact that they're incapacitated for a period of time, but during those periods of, of bed rest or, or um, you know, uh, inability to move, um, freely, they will lose more muscle and mass and more strength at that time. So it's like a, it's a vicious cycle that compounds the problem of, you know, initially being uh, perhaps we, you know, weak enough to fall in the first place and then not being able to recover from that. So the statistics around people who have a fall or fracture over the age of 65 and who ultimately are dead within two years are, you know, they're staggering really. It's around something around 40 to 60 percent, again, depending on the cohort. You know, it's a, it's a really serious threat to, uh, to healthy aging to have had a fall or a fracture. And talk to me about food then, the, the protein component to that in terms mm. of maintaining muscle mass. Presume, I mean, you know, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get into the movement bit in a minute, mm. but in terms of that food component, the food that you eat, the protein that you eat on your plate mm. will be really important to maintaining that muscle mass. How much should we be eating? Yeah, so like the bigger picture uh, story around healthy eating, that applies throughout the aging process. I mean, the you know that goes without saying, I suppose. But in the context of, of muscle uh, mass and function, protein has become the dietary uh, macronutrient for as much focus. And the reason that is because, you know, protein is the building blocks of muscle tissue. And uh, again, there's good evidence on, on two sides of the coin here. One is that when you provide an adequate amount of protein in the post-exercise period or just on a daily basis, that can drive the anabolic response or the so-called protein synthesis response, which is how muscle is, is formed and how it grows and repairs. And on the other side of, of the coin there is that as we age, there seems to be the development of something called anabolic resistance, which is the ability of either exercise or of, of a protein-containing meal to stimulate the anabolic response tends to be blunted um, as we get older. And, you know, it's, it's those two factors that lead to this, uh, this focus on protein as the macronutrient of, of interest. So in terms, in terms of numbers, what's known at the moment is that the RDA, the recommended daily allowance for older adults, is about 50% more than it is for the average member of the population. So wow, okay. your listeners may be familiar with the idea of 0.8 grams per kg body mass as the typical recommendation for, for an adult. So it's 1.2 grams per kg body mass for, um, for an older adult. So again, someone who's um, 70 kg, which is um, 11 stone, that's working out at somewhere in the region of you know 100 uh, or thereabouts, um, um, 80, 85 to 100 in terms of the amount of, of protein that they need on a daily basis as you go upwards towards 1.5, 1.6 grams per kg body mass. And the protein intake will go up with activity levels, presumably across any age group, and that, that includes the aging cohort, that if you are very active as you're getting older, you need more protein on board. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, in, in athletes, for example, that we deal with, the range can be from 1.2 grams per kg body mass up to 2 grams per kg body mass. Um, so again, that's a fairly, again, I mean, there's numerous, uh, dietary surveys now in athletes that show that they eat more than that again, even so, um, you know, this is a major emphasis on protein in, in that cohort, but that stands to reason because these are athletes who are, you know, they're looking to build muscle mass or they're performing so much exertion that there's a high rate of protein turnover, you know, between growth and repair and, and so on. Um, so yeah, so in the in the active older adult, those types of studies haven't been done to the extent that it's you know that there's now a very firm recommendation in terms of what they would eat. But um, there's a recent couple of papers that are suggesting that the um, older active adult uh, should just be treated like an older athlete as such. And again, so that intake is kind of what I was suggesting there earlier of in and around the 1.5, 1.6 grams per kg body mass for those type of individuals. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. 
we're chatting healthy aging and muscle loss and muscle mass. One thing, Brendan, everyone will be asking, uh, and they'll be getting in touch with us if we don't ask the question, is how do you measure it? Um, presumably, you know, it's, smart scales of where is 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 a reasonably accurate way to measure and beyond that it's going into like the dcu sports lab or somewhere like that to get proper measurement done is it yeah so uh the gold standard for the measurement of muscle mass uh, tends to be in in research studies will either be mri or ct scans um or it will be the so-called dexa scan um and so they are um, sort of advanced scanning tools that are used to to quantify lean body mass or, or muscle mass it depends on the um, on the terminology and the equipment used the the types of smart scales where you're standing on um, you know scales that passes an electrical current through you it's called bioelectrical impedance analysis that provides an estimate of muscle mass based on on your total body water probably don't need to get into the details there but um, what I would say is that those are reasonable um, approximations they might be useful to describe change over time but they're not um, accurate enough to be able to say diagnose high or low muscle mass even though you do tend to get you know certain numbers off that um, so when we're talking um, you know in the general population if you were looking at an assessment of of let's call it muscle health um, I would be less likely to focus on muscle mass in that regard and instead focus on measures of muscle strength and so these are typically done by something like a hand grip test um, a hand grip strength test is one and again there are thresholds in terms of looking at low performers there and then there are also the um, the chair rise test which is you know the length of time taken to get up and down five times from 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 a chair and again there are thresholds for uh, good performance and below and again people we have to ask this question because they'll be dying to ask it if they're if they're going to try that test of you know five times up and down from the chair what's a what's a ballpark what should they be aiming for I know. Oh, this is now you're putting me on the spot here but I, it's somewhere <laughs> in the region of 13 to 15 seconds or something like okay. that i, I yeah. have to uh you're gonna you're someone will know in your comment section <laughs> but again it's you know even if you know even if, if we haven't got an exact number by trying it and consistently trying it over the course of, of you know maybe once a month or once a week yeah. or whatever and tracking your progress you're keeping an eye on your strength so that measurement component is, re- is really important yeah no it's for sure i think the tracking over time is, is a good point to make there so when you put me on the spot in terms of a threshold that's uh, we use that for the diagnosis of a condition called sarcopenia and um whether someone is you know truly defined a sarcopenic or not it's probably not as important as understanding that you know a person let's say they're beginning an exercise program they're at point a and they measure themselves again in a few weeks time and you now have a value at point b and knowing that they're making progress there um and again ideally not below the threshold for uh, for sarcopenia um that's really the way to think about these performance tests and again there are a large number of these that are out there that are designed to look at various features of, of muscle health and of course, in Operation Transformation, we use a few uh, over the course of the last couple of years with Niall and yeah, Moyna and the team in DCU. And there's a big focus on that next year. We want to get the nation more aware of their healthy aging. And one of the big ones that we use is the balance test. Yeah. Very straightforward, but actually for people listening in, it's one they can try at home. Yeah, so it depends on, on which balance test you're using. Do you know off the top of your head? Do we, do we... Uh, uh, you'll know the more scientific version of but hands across one foot and then one foot up behind and then I think it's 30 seconds benchmark. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, there's the there's a test that uh, involves uh, kind of two feet stand side by side, then sort of slightly um, uh, off center and then, you know. Oh, yeah, changing the position yeah, of the foot. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. So, so the yeah. one is, uh, is feet side by side and yeah. then hands across and then one foot back and hold. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So you know, it's it's amazing when you when you do uh, do those types of tests, you can see that some people's balance, even you wouldn't expect it at a young age, is already becoming impaired. So you know, the ideal scenario is people should be able to do that that thirty seconds without uh, without losing balance. Um, but again, most people can do the first ten seconds. Yeah. A lot of people can do the second ten seconds, and then it's that last ten seconds where again you begin to see uh, the wobbles appear. You know, within a few seconds of moving into that final position. So, um, yeah, balance training is something that, um, or balance, I should say, is something that you can train, but it also is something that responds well to certain types of strength training, in particular those that are challenging. You know, on your feet doing things, lifting weights that involve a certain amount of balance, they would, that transfers into all forms of balance then in, in terms of the test that you're talking about. And presumably the impact or the benefits are from any age. I know we chatted to Roseanne Kenny uh, a couple of months mm. ago and she was saying, you know, on a similar level, you know, as you get older, move more and, and, all, and, you know, have the different types of movement. But there is no age that you can't gain a benefit from doing more strength training and balance training. Yeah, I think I think that's an important message to give people is that, um, you know, there are a few things that people probably have reticence about when it comes to strength training. And it's around about, you know, will they see any benefit? Uh, is it going to be too sore? Is it too late to start? You know, I have to put in a lot of work. It could be complicated. Like most of those uh, things are, um, I would say, myths that uh, can be you know, dispelled if, if the person is working with, a, you know, a, a good practitioner. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it is um, sometimes difficult for people to begin a strength training regimen having never done any strength training in their life. You know, where do they start? And I certainly don't recommend watching YouTube videos of, you know, CrossFit or something like that as, as a starting point. But um, no. certainly in the case of, of the types of beginners exercise that we're talking about, I mean, even starting off with bodyweight exercise can produce a huge amount of benefit early on. And that's another key message is that for someone who does no strength training whatsoever, you have to remember that the current physical activity guidelines around strength training are just two sessions per week. And that that you know equates to roughly an hour's worth of of, of strength promoting exercise uh, per week. So even getting something started with something like bodyweight exercise, you know, can certainly last four or eight weeks where a person gets familiar with movement. It's a gradual introduction. They're feeling a bit stronger. They notice their balance has improved. You know, that's that's where I'd recommend anyone who's never lifted before to to start with a simply simple bodyweight exercises. And even something like those outdoor machines that we're seeing pop up, and I'm, I'm in West Cork now, we see them here as well. They're everywhere, which is fantastic to see. They're, you know, every little bit helps no matter what it is. And it doesn't have to be a big lifestyle change. It's mm. just getting more movement in. And if they are in your locality or in your local Gaelic pitch or whatever, they're a nice place to start because they're generally fairly simple to use. There'll be a diagram showing you what yep. to do. And it's fairly foolproof. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, most of those are based actually on using your body weight as a kind of uh, as a resistance. You know, the way the levers are set up on those, it is they're effectively body weight exercises, even though you are using machines, so to speak. So they're a nice balance between the two. And like you say, it's it's difficult to go wrong with them. Uh, your only um, challenge is the weather. Unfortunately, the uh, the grips can get a bit slippy and a bit cold, and they're certainly going to get that way as the winter the winter closes in. In the middle of winter, they're challenging. I, I, I used to chin up bars and dip bars and stuff, but in the middle of winter, it's a bit slippy <laughs> when, when the storm kicking in and, yeah. uh, and all the rest. But I suppose like the whole idea for today's episode to tell people, look, you need to maintain your muscle mass and your muscle strength as you get older. It doesn't take a big lifestyle change, but it's getting more done as much as you possibly can, whether that's carrying the shopping bag mm. or the, you know, the, the, um, or, you know, using the stairs instead of the, es For the sure. escalator or just simple things like that. That's all people really need to do. I think initially, yeah, because, you know, so few of the population are actually doing strength promoting exercise. You know, the, 
the biggest uh, survey that I've seen, uh, you know, close to home would have been in the UK a couple of years back. And when they looked at either people who were doing, say, aerobic plus uh, strength exercise or just strength exercise alone, it looked like only about 10% of the population were actually meeting the guidelines from that point of view of, of two sessions per week. So, um, like I said, if, if you start from the uh, view that bodyweight exercises and simple movements like you talk about it are a good place to start, like that, I think walking up and down stairs, many people don't even do that. You know, people maybe don't even get out of a chair 30 times, which would be you know, three sets of 10. That would be a very easy place to start in terms of trying to strengthen the, the leg uh, muscles. And like that, carrying shopping bags and wall presses, you know, these are all bodyweight exercises that are, you know, relatively straightforward to do. And um, as you say, if you're in an area where you've access to some of those outdoor machines, that can be another way. And thinking about it as even starting off within half an hour a week, um, but building up to those two by 30 minutes a week of strength promoting exercise, I do think that that's, you know, that's a goal that people need to think about just as being an essential part of, of healthy aging. And of course, and the key thing to remember is you know, every little bit you do is more than you would do if you were sitting on the chair. And whether it's a one minute or 20 minutes or half an hour, and I would find the same as what that study, like if we do corporate work, we tend to survey a lot of the groups that we work with. It's around one in 10 is hitting those strength, strength training recommendations. And you're looking around the room and it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, it's important that we just tell people to do a little bit more work and every little bit helps. And, you know, your, your, your message earlier on from the, you know, the, in terms of balance and trips and falls and the, the, the percentage of, of, of death after that was fascinating. Mm. And if that doesn't motivate people to get moving, nothing will. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so my research is published on uh, ResearchGate. You can search my name on ResearchGate or Google Scholar is another place where our papers tend to be found. And if you're interested in the work that's going on within DCU, the School of Health and Human Performance have a useful website that points you in the direction of staff and research projects that are out there underway. So yeah, certainly feel free to search for those resources. Amazing. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Folks, that is it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. You know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth.independent.ie. Measure your balance, measure your squats, and see how you get on. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health. So long, before. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.